So know the lingo. I'm talking about all of the the sourcing code, right? Like FOB or DDP or down payment, Inco terms, things like that. Google is your friend. You don't want to go message one of these suppliers on Alibaba.com and they think you're a 16-year-old kid who doesn't know what they're doing. Even if you are a 16-year-old kid. Alibaba.com Sourcing Insights is the official podcast from the Alibaba.com team. Each week on the show, we bring you conversations with industry-leading experts who are using Alibaba.com to build and scale their businesses. These conversations help you explore opportunities through digital global sourcing amidst changing times and find diversified winning products and leading suppliers on Alibaba.com. Subscribe and be sure to check back for regular episodes. Mike Jackness is host of the Ecom Crew Podcast, which is one of the top and longest-running e-commerce podcasts. He also runs Tehran.com, which owns a series of e-commerce brands with products ranging from ice packs to tactical gear, baby products, and knitting supplies. We are honored to have Mike join us as a host and facilitate this conversation with Adam Weiler of Sunken Stone. Hey, Adam. Welcome to the Alibaba.com Sourcing Insights Podcast. How's it going, my friend? (laughs) Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to talk to you today. Doing some research on you before the show, and it sounds like you're a pretty interesting guy. And lots of opportunity to talk about sourcing tips today, which uh, is the main thing we want to get into. But just for context, so people know who you are and and how you got started, let's start there. So maybe just take a couple of minutes uh, and tell the audience who you are and how you got into e-commerce. Yeah, thanks for having me today again. Uh, thanks to Alibaba.com and really excited for the, to be on the, the show today. But I am founder and CEO of sunkenstone.com. We are a performance-based Amazon marketing agency. And I've been selling on Amazon since December of 2007. Oh man, you're um, like the OG OG. <laughs> <laughs> it was a few months after FBA had started and I had sourced some HDMI cables and put them up for sale online and started selling on eBay and Overstock and Amazon had just started their FBA program and put them on there and it was like a rocket ship and started, sold those first thousand cables, brought in 2000 and 4,000 and started bringing in containers. And then I needed to source envelopes to put the cables in. So I started <laughs> sourcing the envelopes and started selling the envelopes and then needed some tape and started sourcing the tape and then just spread around into other niches, bike parts and accessories, other office supply stuff, some pet stuff, and went from there. Very cool. And then about five years ago, there was a brand uh, company on the East Coast that I was trying to source from, but they didn't want to sell to me. But they were like, hey, we, we need some help with this Amazon thing. Can you help us out? And I was like, I guess I can. And we took them, we 10 x them in, in the first six months. And it was off to the races from there. Realized that helping brands and helping companies was our, our magic powers. And that's where we've been ever since. Okay. So you've been doing that for the last five years. And are you mm-hmm. still selling things yourself on Amazon or mostly helping other companies at this point now? Major vast majority is helping other companies. So we still have a few SKUs, some hammocks out of Mexico and some office products just to to stay in it. But yeah, ninety plus percent are helping other brands, whether it's we really focus a lot in I'd say health and personal care and, and pet make up about eighty five percent of okay. our clientele. So you've picked a few niches and really just drilled into that. 
Yeah, that, I wish I would have picked niches earlier. I think that's one of my <laughs> right. biggest regrets is not niching down. And I wish I would have just owned the office supply space and sourced additional products and kind of land and expand on that. But with every entrepreneurial ADD jumping from jumping from category, to- it's it's not so easy. Like being everything to everybody and selling every single thing on, on the face of the planet, it becomes quite difficult, actually. It's almost too much opportunity mm-hmm. and really saying no now that I'm older and I'm a father and more mature and like maybe a little less energy. Now I can actually say no a lot easier where before it was like, oh, there's margin there. There's an opportunity there. Oh, there's looks like fun. And it's like saying yes to everything really, I, I think it's the worst thing you can do as an entrepreneur now. Absolutely. I, I always use the saying, uh, like you can drown yourself in opportunity, right? There's as an entrepreneur, there's opportunity everywhere, whether it's uh, in e-commerce <laughs> or owning the subway franchise down the road, or uh, yeah. someone was like talking about doing local marketing. I, I needed a, <laughs> a landscaper for my house the other day and couldn't find a good one. It's like, maybe I should start a landscaping company here in, in Vegas. And you can always find plenty of opportunity. <laughs> I just had a friend. I've, I'm like, you have to tell me to not start a gym <laughs> because I want to buy my house. Because I just to work. He's like, just get some workout equipment. You don't need to start a, a gym to 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 scratch that itch. Okay, thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, and bringing this back to sourcing, I actually the reason I mm-hmm. wanted to just dig in this a little bit. I, I think it's a fun tangent, but like yeah. realistically, when you're sourcing, I, I think you'll find that if you're in one niche and you've narrowed down on something, it gives you the opportunity to to find that one really good supplier or a group of suppliers are usually in a region in the world that's all grouped together. Is, is that something that you've seen as well as you've dialed into just one thing now or just maybe two things? Yeah, I would say our suppliers, we're all centrally or all located in certain regions. A lot in Shenzhen and we were dealing with electronics. A common friend we have in, in common, Ian, I was oh. taking him over on sourcing trips and <laughs> we would fly into Hong Kong and cross over to Shenzhen and Guangzhou, and a lot of our manufacturers were there. A lot of the PCB manufacturers were there. Anything with Bluetooth accessories, everything was there. And instead of just narrowing down and like taking more of that catalog that our suppliers had, we would jump around to other areas and other regions. Like, oh, this is a cool one. Where yeah. I wish coming back to that focus thing. It's funny because yeah, you said mutual friend. We've all kind of gone down that same path before we learned this lesson the hard way. And this is one of the things I would mm-hmm. encourage people listening to really to really hone in on is just we've done hot and cold therapy packs ourselves and baby products. And I'm thinking of Ian. So he had the, the fitness stuff and he was also got into some baby stuff. And then there was like some supplements and you just, you're all over the place. And yeah, uh, it, it's hard to do a good job, uh, as good of a job as you would with one thing when you're trying to do too many things. Yeah, and I think there's an there's something to be said for testing in the beginning and getting enough data. But I think like we know if we've got something, like if there's if the initial numbers are looking right, and then it's about scaling that once you have that initial data, and then really putting the blinders on and until you get to a goal, in which case could be an exit, like we have multiple friends that have done in, in this space. Or it's a cash a, a cash flow amount that you're comfortable with, and then you can go on to a, another niche or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. So, Adam, I'm thinking back to like when I first got started. Maybe you can do the same because I think a lot of people that are listening <laughs> here are probably 
in their early days of, of sourcing and yep. are, are looking for tips and tricks and things, maybe trying to learn from the mistakes that we've made and not mm-hmm. repeat them. So you maybe share some insights when you think back to the early days back in 2007. I know it's a long time ago yeah. as we get older, our memory <laughs> gets foggier, but what are some good tips on as a beginner when you're sourcing? Yeah. So I would say a few things. So know the lingo, you want to stand out and I'll go into each of these in more detail, but know the lingo, stand out and know your niche. So mm. know the lingo. I'm talking about all of the, the sourcing code, right? Like FOB or DBP <laughs> right. or down payment, Inco terms, things like that. These are Google is your friend, absolutely. You, but you want you don't want to go message some one of these suppliers on Alibaba.com and they think you're a 16 year old kid who doesn't know what they're doing. Even if you are a 16 year old right. kid, that's you the could great thing easily... about the internet. You can be uh, sexy and older and all those good things. <laughs> <laughs> you mean you want to portray professionalism because if they're, you have to look at it from their perspective. They're looking for someone to do business with for a long time, stay steady and stable. Like they don't want one big order. They don't want lots of little orders. They want lots of medium orders so they can plan out their factory supply chain. They can plan out their raw material purchasing. So then if that was you, how would you want to be talked to? You would want, here's what I'm looking for. Here's specific specifications that I'm looking for. Here's how many of them. These are the terms I'm looking like. It's all about, about professionalism. So don't just take the default message that comes in and says, send me more information about that, right? You're not going to get a high response rate. And as you said, Google's your friend. And these conversations very rarely happen in real time. That's one of the things Mm -hmm. that like, it can be helpful. They're almost always through email. The most real time you'll ever have is maybe through like WeChat or WhatsApp or something. Or if if you're like falling asleep in bed and (laughs) and you happen to catch someone who's coming online. Exactly. But like when they're asking you, do you want X works or FOB? And you're like, I don't know what any of those things are. The default shouldn't be like, I don't know. It should be, I'll Google that real quick and figure out, okay, FOB sounds like the the thing I'd rather have in this case. Or say like, what do you, what do most of your your clients prefer? Mm -hmm. What do smart people do? Or like, what do your largest clients do? How do they handle it? And like, versus I have no idea what, what that, like just go Google the stuff and (laughs) And there are actually, in this particular case, when you're talking about FOB or XWorks, there are some factories that prefer one way or the other. They, they'll mm-hmm. do either one, but sometimes they prefer, this, some factories are just XWorks factory. They'd rather you deal with all of it. Some of them have these shipping relationships already set up and they'll get it yeah. out to the port for you. And so that's a great way to, to do it and then, or have Google be your friend. Yeah. 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 And if you can align with a supplier with those uh, relationships, especially in the beginning you don't want to be coordinating trucking from the factory to the port and the clearance. If they can handle yeah. as much of that as possible, amazing. Absolutely. Yeah, make things as streamlined as easy as for you as possible. Don't worry necessarily about perfect profitability on these first orders. Like just get through the process and so I that's, consider uh, rest that's of a key, education. key differentiator. I would say that's a key differentiator. So are we talking about initial kind of sample orders, 500, 1,000, or whatever the MOQ or minimum order quantity is from that supplier? Or is this an ongoing? Because I think the, the goals for each of those phases is different. The first Absolutely. one is you're looking for... Uh, samples and quality and timeliness of the replies 
and are they within a price range? Like you don't want the cheapest, right? Because they're that's going to be the lowest quality. You don't want the most expensive. Like are they within within the band? But then ongoing, those goals for you are build that relationship, work on deposit and end of balance terms. Like are they catching? defects before they ship things to you on their own? Or do you have to go send an inspector to the factory? These are all things that like the, what the best relationships are, it's like, they're great partnerships and the worst relationships. That's we, there's a story, me and Ian got, got a load of Bluetooth speakers and they had lead weights in them. And that was a, that was an expensive lesson. <laughs> yeah. And so no inspection and Mm-hmm. Yeah, $200 inspection. We needed a rush or something was something we needed to get something over b- before Q4 on Amazon. And oh, yeah, that $200 cost us $25,000. I remember yep. that's an yep. expensive lesson. So always do inspections is I think you're yeah. trying to get there. Yeah, if you absolutely. do anything, if, if you do, yeah, through Alibaba.com, you know, there, there there's plenty of authorized ones. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the other things uh, you mentioned from when you get started is the niche. Let's dig into that a little bit. What yeah. have you found there that's important when considering niches and sourcing when you're first getting started? Yeah, a few things. Everyone goes to what's around them, and that's great too, but that could also lead to a ton of competition. I happen to be around I happen to be around HDMI cables. Now, the perfect niche is, is where there's demand but no competition. It's if we're on a we're looking at a chart. <laughs> but then looking for the unicorn. Is it <laughs> yeah, that and and if you've got some and if you've got some programming skills and you can like tap into different APIs out there and like mash something together, you can probably find some stuff. I, we both know smart people that are running pivot tables on like disparate sets of large data to find things that there's not Amazon competition, but there's search volume for. But also, do you want to be excited about it? Does it mean anything to you? Can you and that's an ego thing, right? Or do you just care about the money? Because then you can sell anything. Or do you want to, when you go to a cocktail party or meet someone, like, this is what I sell and this is my brand and this is, I'm standing behind it. Oh, that's really cool. That's a personal decision. For me, it was, I liked, I got into things because like I needed them or I saw an opportunity there and I was like, or I liked it, like pet stuff was because I had dogs and, and was really cool. And the HDMI stuff and Bluetooth speaker stuff was like, I like gadgets and I like electronics. I've gone back and forth on this. When I first got started, it was just like, whatever I can find that I can make money on. Uh, yeah. And then looked at things that I have an interest in. The problem is I, I talk about this a lot, like I'm a boring guy and the things I have an interest in uh, <laughs> are really tough to, to source for. I mean, I really love tennis, for instance. And so trying okay. to go out and make a tennis brand, that's never going to happen. You can't make tennis rackets and compete with Nike. Scuba diving is another thing I love doing. I think the liability and just like the development costs of doing that type of stuff, just cost prohibitive. I do love pets, uh, but it's a tough niche to get into. And so I've gone off and done other things where you know I found that at least having a personal interest in the brand and loving what you do was really important. And I also yep. think about the types of niches where you can get more business from the same customer. You like look at all the things that we've done. You probably have this experience with your customers through your agency. You know, the ones that have that repeat business over 30, 40% on their account are going to be a lot more yeah. successful than the ones that are at like 2% because like people just don't need more 
paper clips or something or whatever. Once they buy it once, they <laughs> those are replenishable. <laughs> they are replenishable. It wasn't the best example. The best example is probably one of my ice packs. Once you have a, an ice pack in the fridge, you don't need another one. People yeah. very rarely, uh, we do have some repeat business, but it's very low. And so I, I think of those types of things when I'm uh, thinking about niches. And at the end of the day, I'm basically selling stuff that I don't have a close personal attachment with. But mm-hmm. I do think that if and you can, it's worthwhile. Yeah. And you're more mature. You've had exits throughout the years, right? So like you're versus someone of their 18, 25 early in their career or working a full-time job and then doing this as like a side hustle thing, they can take the time. I think there's something about having a personal relationship in the beginning with it because it's going to be a Sunday or a Saturday at midnight and you need to answer an email and or get on a, get on a call and there needs to be something that gets you through money can be that motivator and providing for your family and providing for yourself is that, but it, it goes the extra step when it's something that you're connected with as well. So Adam, switching gears for just a second, talking of things that we were doing in our beginning days, you started way before I do. You're the, again, the OG OG. But one of the things that I've really been struggling with lately is I started actually sourcing from Alibaba.com. That was like my very first thing. Then I graduated at some point. I felt like those relationships were quite valuable. How do you switch gears back to, to digital sourcing in, in 2022? Is that something that you've had some success with? Yeah, great, great point. And I think it's I think there's a nuanced answer here. So the imp- nothing can beat in person, right? Like nothing. Sitting with someone, eating regional cuisine, spicy chili peppers that are burning my mouth. There's something that, like that, like that story, you can't replicate that on Zoom. But you can have 500% more encounters that are 75% as good, like a Zoom scenario like this. So that's where digital is. So a supplier that, that you potentially would have never met at a trade show at Canton Fair, like they didn't have the booth to, to make it there. But made quality stuff and takes the time and like uploads their listing on alibaba.com. Now you have a chance to talk to them and you can spend five minutes chatting or instant messaging or getting their WeChat and then hopping on a Zoom and, and or Skype and trying to do something. And that's a connection that wouldn't have exist pre-COVID, right? It would have, they would have, it would have been Canton Fair or bust. And I'm going to the Canton Fair and I'm going to find five suppliers I'm going to take their paper things home and I'm going to look at them on the plane and make notes and then contact them back. But now I think because of because COVID has shrunk us or pushed us to the future as far as digital, I think it's opened a lot of doors and, and normalized the, the digital communication. I'm looking forward to that and I appreciate it too. Is finding the perfect supplier taking way too long? Let qualified suppliers come to you instead. With the request for quotation feature on Alibaba.com, Simply post your product requirements online and receive up to 10 supplier responses in as little as 12 hours. The request for quotation feature makes your sourcing process more effective so you can better focus on growing your business. Learn more about the request for quotation feature and other great tips at buyer.alibaba.com. Adam, one of the things you were talking about was just cash flow in, in general. And obviously, like you can come the victim of your own success when you have uh, really good products that they take off and, and become a huge success. But I think that forces you to be more nuanced and really careful with when you're trying to source new products and keep on launching things. And honestly, this really boils down to when you're first getting started too, trying to find 
that first hit and, and find successful products? What are some things that you've found to, to make sure that cash flow stays tight and on point and also allow you to still take chances and launch new products and have success there as well? That's the million dollar question, right? Like, how do you know if this product is going to be a success without having it? Well, Tim Ferriss talked a little bit about it in his four hour work week. And since then, I've also read The Right It. And that's another book on how do you test these ideas without investing a ton of time and money into them? And I think there's, because we're in a digital age now, because you can throw up a landing page pretty quickly, because you can buy a Facebook ad or some other drive some other traffic to it pretty easily, you could almost test these things without t- without purchasing them. So you can take a couple pictures of, of a product that you're considering. You can write up some copy. You can throw up some ads and drive them to a landing page and see if anyone even likes the product. And that would be that would be click-through rate. And then see if they really are compelled to buy it. And that could be a, a checkout or an attempted checkout. Now, Let's just be clear. Like you don't want to take anyone's money if you don't have the product. Like that's like a full stop. That's the line. But if you have um, if you have a button and you're gonna click it and it says, oh hey, we're sold out of these. Enter your email for a promo code. That's acceptable in my in my stack of, of principles. And I've seen people that take it all the way through to enter credit card information. When you click, it's something's wrong. But here's a promo code for that. Now that's a way like you get actionable data based on, let's say the products, $50 that you're going to be selling, you can source it for between five and $10, and it's costing you $20 to acquire that customer just on this first test means there's something there, right? When when you get better pictures and better copy and better optimization, more color options and and really built out pages. And, um, And for this specific scenario, I'm not even talking about putting it on Amazon because on Amazon, you do need the product in hand. I'm talking about the initial concepts, do a landing page, a bunch of, a bunch of WYSIWYG landing landing page builders. And then if it pans out, then you're going to order the full amount from your supplier and then put it on Amazon. So it's a easy, fast, relatively inexpensive way to, to prove a concept before you really spend a lot of money on it. Yeah, I absolutely love this idea. What's worse, having to wait for the products to come in after you find this success or ordering tens of thousands of dollars of goods and then realizing that it isn't going to be a success and looking for liquidation ways to get rid of it? I, I love this concept too. in terms of, uh, <laughs> yeah. And so I think, you know, it's another one of these lessons of hard knocks in the trenches that do some initial testing. There's plenty of ways to get traffic to that landing page in this day and age, whether it's Google, PPC, Facebook ads, TikTok, whatever. As you mentioned, it's not going to be the BL end all, you're not going to have the best photography, the best copy, everything you need to convert people, but it just gives you a barometer of, oh, it's costing me $1,000 to get one person to click add the cart, or it's costing me $3 yeah. to get one person to click add the cart, and there might be something there. It's costing 1000 you might want to revisit that product right. idea. <laughs> that would be the one that's going to go to liquidation. <laughs> Absolutely. Great idea. What are some lessons you, you learned the hard way that you can share when sourcing, finding suppliers, or things? You mentioned one of them already. Uh, that you didn't yeah, do an inspection, inspection. that cost you 25K. <laughs> that's a good one. I think that's a, a lesson we've all learned the hard way. Oh, this time I don't mm-hmm. need to do that inspection. I've been working with these guys for a while, or this isn't a big enough order to worry about it. You'll make some excuse someday not to do the inspection and realize uh, <laughs> what you learned and what I've learned the hard Easy way. One. But yeah. there's some other things that I'm sure you can probably share besides just doing inspections. What are some other like good tips you might have? 
Yeah. So focusing on cash flow. So this is, I would say, like more advanced. But once you've done a few uh, orders with the same factory or with the same supplier or same sourcing company, you want to stack up the payment terms to be more advantageous uh, for you. And you've, you've, you've seen some of this stuff, or if not, let me actually talk about a time because at the end of the year, I would go to my accountant and they'd be like, congratulations, you had an amazing year. <laughs> and I'd be like, what are you talking about? They're like, you, you owe a ton of tax. I'm like, I have no money. Yep. I have a warehouse full of items. And I have a huge tax bill. Okay. It's the change here. I, uh, I remember and... having a conversation with my CPA. I was like, can I pay my uh, taxes in gel pens? Because that's all I have right now. <laughs> I don't have exactly. any cash. And I, I don't know if the IRS will take gel pens or not, but I got so, plenty of those. Pro tip, pro tip. <laughs> if you are like reinvesting all of your money, buy one, you sell it, then you buy two, you sell it, you buy four, like peel off a certain percentage and stick it away in a tax yeah. Uh, account, right? Read Profit First or read any other bookkeeping. That was a mistake I made too late in business that really you're going to owe taxes on that. This isn't real estate, so there isn't a 1031 yeah. for Well, it's for counterintuitive. Yeah. The thing you've always been taught or the other businesses, because I had been in business doing a lot of stuff before getting into e-commerce. Yeah. And what was in my bank account was basically my profit that I could know was my profit, You know, was what I was going to be paying taxes on. Mm -hmm. As you said, in this world, there's no cash in the bank. And so it feels like you don't owe any taxes. But the thing is, all the things that you sold to this point, and the reason why you ordered yeah. more and more inventory to keep up with that demand is generating a paper profit. And until you take your foot off the gas, you're going to always be in, in this predicament. And so it's a really great tip to, to make sure that you're putting money aside for taxes. So that, And then also on the sourcing side, if you can negotiate preferable payment terms. So let's say 10% down, 20% before shipping, and then the rest 90 days post shipping. That gives you a chance or 90 days post delivery. That can actually give you a chance to turn the inventory. And then you're playing with house money. If you can set it right. I've seen people and you're like, there's international suppliers. They're going to give me those terms. I've seen, I've seen mid 20 year olds that hmm. have just built yeah. up those terms, right? That, but that it, but we it know, usually takes time. You don't usually ask for that on the first order. Not, they they want to see you're not going to get that on the first order. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, and but if you're sourcing with the same supplier for a couple of years, you've been out to visit, you've had tea, you've gone you've gone to meals. Like those are just normal business stuff, right? Like these relations, the same thing you would do here in the states, you do over internationally. Yeah, absolutely. So what are some progressions on terms that you've seen where obviously mm -hmm. the, be the beginning, kind of the, the typical terms are that 30% deposit, 70% final payment. Yeah. What would be like the first thing you would ask for after your Good second question. or third order? What would be like, give Less me a little deposit, bit. deposit, I would say. 10% 10, 10 deposit, the rest before shipping. So it's still, they're still releasing everything post-shipping. And then maybe a 10, 50, 40, like... 10% down payment, 50% pre-shipping, and then the rest when it gets delivered. So it's every time you could push anything back, time value of money, right? You get to turn that inventory Absolutely. before you owe money. And these guys are all business people, right? They, If you can put it in terms that they understand, uh, which they already do, point. like they're, they've already worked with plenty of other people that are in the same position. And so yes. one of the things that I found in this is, hey, look, Mr. Factory, 
I want to continue to grow business with you, but cash flow is a limiting factor. If we could have some better terms, I think I can grow my business XYZ percent over and the next year with that, you. And that XYZ is the really great ones I've seen like show, hey, we're ordering this many right now. If we can change it to here, I'm going to order this many. Yep. And it's, oh, wow, they're going to order 20% more. And in their mind, they're like, oh, that's pure profit. And, on the, and they have different factoring things and different programs available depending on what country they're in from a factory. So they can, they just care about the, the units moved on their side. Absolutely. And you know, one of the things you were talking about earlier was finding a good factory to work with and growing that relationship with them just as much as you want that. And that's advantageous for you. It's, it is for them as well. They want to work mm -hmm. with someone that they've already got a relationship with. They've already been through the sampling phase and the mold <laughs> phase and all the tinkering. And, and it's much easier on the second, third, fourth order for them to actually make money because they're just cranking out the same thing over and over again. And so they, they want that relationship just as much. Yeah. And, and thinking of it from a factory, they want to make a couple of percentage points of margin on a lot of things. And they want that line never stopping. So the more volume that you could provide, literally the worst thing for them is a low MOQ, start, stop, get some people in, make something, not be assured of the quality. They want to make the same thing. They want to do it nonstop over, over two or three shifts. And the more you can contribute to that, the, the more they're going to love you. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So we're already starting to run short on time. The conversation's been awesome. There's a couple other things that I wanted to talk to you a little bit about. I imagine that by running an agency for the last five years and, and helping sell millions and millions of dollars of, of products for your clients, that you have some great tips as well away from the sourcing part, but running Amazon and, and those things. I want to give you some time to, to talk a little bit about that. Yeah. When I talk about Amazon and how to win on Amazon, it's really around the four pillars of Amazon success. Plug for upcoming book, just FYI. Nice. Uh, so <laughs> everything is based around inventory, content, customer service, and advertising. And kind of everything can fit nicely in there. High level, I know we don't, each of those can be hours and hours of content. And we do have a ton of stuff on YouTube. It's all free. We give it all away. And those are the same SOPs that, that we used to run the agency. So please steal them all. Yeah, but, the best place to find that just real quick. So people, they go on YouTube, yeah, what you, they search for? YouTube, they search Sunken Stone and you can find our channel. Hundreds of hours of YouTube content that we just publish up there. When it comes to inventory, the 10 second clip is have enough inventory that you never run out of stock and no more. And that's, it's simple, but it's very difficult because you don't want to be stuck with dead inventory that you're getting hit with long-term storage fees on Amazon for, but you never want to run out of stock because if you run out of stock, you don't exist on Amazon. It's like this, this weird catch 22 yeah. um, that, that you have to thread the needle. What, what are some tips on that? Cause I, I know that from my experience of doing this, it feels like a game that you can never win or be perfect at, Yeah, which is really frustrating for the types of personalities. I think that we probably both are, you know, I, I hate mm -hmm. ever being wrong and not having the exact well, amount Just of when you figured it out too, then <laughs> Amazon throws in inventory restrictions, uh -huh. like bam, throw yeah. that in the mix. Or there's an extra month delay of a ship sitting out in the middle of the ocean that has never happened yeah. before, all kinds of things like this. So, you know, I think from my side, like one of the tips that I think of in this is just, you have to have a strong stomach for this to be able to deal with it. But I, I think so that, uh, sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to. Yeah. I was, and you have to go heavy but in the right places. So know your core SKUs, 
go heavy on those. If you have something you're testing, maybe go lighter on those. But also from a logistics standpoint, you're not sending them, you're not sending them from factory to FBA. You need some, at this point in 2022, you need some kind of trickle situation, 3PL, a warehouse, a garage, a friend's warehouse. Like <laughs> you can't just, you, you can't just send it all into FBA because then you're constrained. You can't go international with it. You can't go e-commerce. You can't do retail with it. It's, you're limited on that FBA inventory. But if you send to a warehouse, then you can trickle in some FBA oh, we went viral on TikTok that went to our Shopify store, or we got into some retail locations. Now we can use that some of that inventory to, to go, or we, hey, we need to blow it out. We're going to do some heavy influencer promotion. Like it gives you options. So optionality yeah. on the inventory side. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think once you've pigeonholed yourself for all your inventories on Amazon, uh, you'll learn the hard way that recall fees are expensive. Um, <laughs> exactly. It, it never shows back up in the same condition it arrived in. It'll show up in, in 72 different shipments throughout the, the next month or two. It's, uh, it's not like the position they, be in. You think they line the floors of the warehouses like with the box and they're like walking on yeah. them all day. <laughs> right. You're like, what is going on here? Yeah. It's cheaper to let people walk all over your products than to give them a, a, like a little soft floor mat to stand on. So, <laughs> yeah. Good point. Yeah. And frugality is a leadership principle at yeah. Amazon. <laughs> Absolutely. Cool. Well, as I mentioned, uh, we were getting at a point where we're running close and running out of time. I want to give you just a couple minutes to, to tell people where to find more about you. You mentioned the YouTube channel. But if they want to to reach out to you, maybe for Amazon services or just to to learn more about this stuff or to talk to you some more, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, YouTube is awesome. We've got all the socials going, so Facebook. Uh, I'm on Twitter personally, Adam Weiler. Search for that. Happy to DMs are open, and we are releasing our first Amazon catalog management external facing software uh, tool, and we're going to be giving it out, you know, pretty much to everyone. If you say you've heard, we're listening to the show or watched a video, we're going to be plugging in a lot there. We're just going to be giving a lot of beta accounts to people. Very cool. And it sounds like you're also writing a book. Tell me a little bit about that. We put we publish a ton of blog content and, and the YouTube content. And I talk to people smarter than me and they're like, why don't you just turn it into a book? I'm like, oh, I don't have anything to write about. They're like, you've got <laughs> you've hundreds got and hundreds <laughs> of stuff. Yeah. So we're going through this year. And that's the thing too. It's like, reframing, right? So we're taking the existing great content we've got out there. Obviously, we're going to polish it up and put it out there. Now it's in a nice, easy to digest book and get to do more of these kind of fun things. Very cool. Well, congrats on that and, and the best of luck with it. And again, thanks for coming on the Alibaba.com sourcing podcast. We really appreciate it. Appreciate it for having me. Thanks, guys. Alibaba.com sourcing insights is the official podcast from the Alibaba.com team. Each week on the show, we bring you conversations with industry-leading experts who are using Alibaba.com to build and scale their businesses. These conversations help you explore opportunities through digital global sourcing amidst changing times and find diversified winning products and leading suppliers on Alibaba.com. Subscribe and be sure to check back for regular episodes.